When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. of Purple Insider, Matthew Collar here. We'll get to my conversation with Ian Harditz of Pro Football Focus in just a minute. But first, it was another OTA practice for the Vikings today. And I wanted to bring you a couple of things, a couple of clips from Kirk Cousins and from Wes Phillips that stuck out to me. But some other notes first. Once again, it was Chris Reed and Jesse Davis working at right guard, which I'm guessing we're going to see for quite a while throughout the offseason. Harrison Smith was not there. He just became a father, so he's missing OTAs. Cam Bynum and Lewis Seen were out there together with the first team. And Ed Donatel said today that they like the idea of using three safeties because he said that you can match teams with speed. Um, so I, I guess I wonder if we'll see them in more of a dime type of situation at times to be able to use Cameron Bynum to get him on the field. I had figured that maybe they would use two linebackers, three safeties in situations where teams were trying to use big personnel as opposed to going with three linebackers. But I also think now that maybe we'll just see Eric Hendricks out there in some spots with three safeties along with him instead of a second linebacker, which compared to the Mike Zimmer era is going to look pretty weird, I think, um, if that's the case and they're in a dime uh, type of personnel setting, which it just has not really happened for them uh, during the Mike Zimmer era, even when it was third down and long, you would still see Anthony Barr and Eric Hendricks out there. But Jordan Hicks maybe is going to have a more limited role than Anthony Barr had. So that's something, you know, we'll keep watching through camp, through preseason. Uh, Amir Smith-Marset didn't practice. We didn't talk to Kevin O'Connell, so not sure why, but that might be something to keep an eye on. Uh, special teams coordinator Matt Daniels said that there is a legit kicking competition. So get excited, everybody. We've got right guards and kickers going at it and punters. Don't forget the punters. Uh, he particularly praised Gabe Burkich, who is the other kicker other than uh, Greg Joseph. And if you were wondering, and I know you were, uh, Greg Joseph hit five of six. It was kind of windy out there. The only miss came from about 55 or 56 yards, and Burkich made all three. So it begins. Kicking competition. It's going already. Uh, Sean Mannion and Kellen Mond appeared to be splitting the QB2 reps. That's something, again, that we should expect all throughout this period of time. And then in training camp, we'll see who they decide to give QB2 reps to. Maybe they'll go back and forth all the way through uh, the preseason games, and that'll be something we're watching on a daily basis. Uh, all right, so let's get to a couple of the comments that popped out for me today. Kirk Cousins was asked about how similar his current offense is to offenses that he's had in the past, and he explained how things are kind of always evolving. Uh, there are elements that are the same, but it's amazing how much... Uh... Uh, things you've evolved, you know, if, if 
looking back to like when I was with Sean McVay in 2016, I mean, Sean's offense, to the degree that, that this would have similarities, has gone a long ways over the last five years, you know, and there's been a lot of changes. The league changes, and there's been a lot of changes with that. So, um, and I'm sure if you were to, you know, take a snapshot of any offense I've played in, uh, if you look back five years later, there's always a lot that's changed because that's just the nature of things that you have to keep up with the times. So um, there's a lot that's new. There's foundational you know undertones that are similar um but i just learn it all as if it's new and and just got to learn it as the 2022 vikings offense kirk also talked about bc johnson and irv smith jr getting those guys back from their injuries uh they missed both of them missed all of last season and he talked about how excited he was heading into last year for them and how disappointing it was that they got hurt yeah, Olabisi and Irv are two guys that missed all last season that I was expecting big things from. I remember in 2020 when Adam was out with COVID for two games, I believe, or one game against Carolina, and we really be, put Olabisi in the spot where Adam would normally be. And he just had a great game. He kept getting open. He was reliable. And I remember thinking that um, in year three, he was going to take a big step and really show up. And then, unfortunately, tore his knee in one-on-ones over here in training camp. And so I've always had a high opinion of him. And I think that in year four now, I, I do expect him to um, have a very productive year and provide a great deal of depth for us. So I'm excited about him. And then Irv, much the same way. I felt he was one of our most uh, impactful players during training camp last year. And even in the preseason games that he played, I thought he, he made an impact and was making plays and putting good things on tape. And then he, he hurt his knee against the Chiefs, and that was the last we saw of him. So both those guys, I'm really excited about, um, you know, I think it's year four for both of them. You know, expect big things. Okay, before we get to Ian Harditz, Wetz Phillips went into tremendous detail about the differences and similarities between Justin Jefferson and Cooper Cup. And I just thought, like, this is worth listening to. So some interesting stuff here from the Vikings offensive coordinator. Uh, they're different players, but I think they're both very instinctive uh, and both have uh, a natural ability to separate kind of. Uh, there's some guys that just, just have a natural way of always working edges on guys. You know, that's what we're looking for from the receiver group. You know, you're never running straight down the middle of someone. You're always working an edge, just like a pass rusher is always working an edge on an offensive lineman. And uh, some guys just have it a little more naturally, and I think they're similar in that aspect. Uh, they both can uh, really play underneath themselves, uh, where they can, you know, what we say, double up a guy, run a choice route, make good decisions. So they have some, some football intelligence, some instincts, now they're different as far as the types of balls that maybe are activated. Maybe you didn't see Cooper Cup, uh, you know, catching 60-yard bombs quite as often uh, as maybe Justin Jefferson, but you're seeing him a lot more underneath. Uh, uh, the thing that's exciting that is very similar to Cooper is they can play all the spots. So, so you have the ability to take them and move them where you want them and where you think you can get a good matchup and then the ability to win at all levels, underneath, intermediate, and the deep balls uh, over the top. That's the tough thing, though, correct? When, when a guy can move, it, it draws the it, – it forces the defense's hand. Is that correct? And absolutely, you know, and, and even, in a, even in a zone coverage without getting, like, technical, but 
you know, they're going to line if they're in nickel defense, right? They have an extra DB. They're going to line that nickel to the passing strength more often than not. And the last drive of the Super Bowl, if you watch, uh, we had several plays where Cooper Cup was aligned over to the tight end side away from the passing strength. So if you're in a zone defense, then you've got a linebacker matching that guy. So just the ability to be able to move those guys when you want to and get them in the spots uh, where they can be most effective is, is huge. Joining me on the show, a return guest from Pro Football Focus, the fantasy guru, Ian Harditz. What is going on, Ian? How are you? Great day. It'd be great. Matthew, appreciate you having me on again. We've talked uh, several times now. Always out there enjoying the Vikings. You know, I feel like every time we talk about them, it always just any Vikings conversation comes back down to like if Kirk Cousins can be the guy to get them over the hump. But that's one of the things I love about fantasy football. We can talk Irv Smith, Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne, Alexander. Is, he, is Alexander Madison a value now that he's wearing number three? Loads of topics, man. <laughs> yeah, the number changes in the backfield. Obviously, the biggest determining factor of what's going to happen. <laughs> hey, uh, he this looks year. slimmer. He legit looks slimmer, man. There might be something to it. Okay, let's just start out there anyway, because you did that. Uh, I don't know that Alexander Madison is going to be a great choice for people to handcuff with Dalvin Cook because of Kenny Wongwu. Uh, Kenny Wongwu, two kick returns for touchdown last year, and a guy who is lightning fast that I think they want to use more. And Alexander Madison, I'm not sure if that's going to be the same fit that it was under Mike Zimmer. Well, that was the one interesting thing about Madison this year and Cook is the fact that they're in this new offense. And there's a couple of players like this. You know, David Montgomery is another one where I think too often we're just kind of looking at what they did last year. And it's like, this is a brand new offense potentially. So, Matthew, I'd love to hear, like, what about Dalvin Cook there? Because he's been one of these running backs where, yeah, if he's healthy, which I know he missed a couple games, but you can always just sign him up for 300-plus touches pretty much each and every year. So, very interesting about Madison's potential handcuff situation. But for me, I was looking at him like a potential Tony Pollard, more so. We know he has the great handcuff upside. I was hoping for maybe just a little bit of standalone value, though. Do you see them rotating the running backs with a little more urgency? I think that that would be wise. I don't know that they'll do that because, I mean, everybody can have some sort of plan like, oh, yeah, we'll take Dalvin Cook off the field. This used to happen with Mike Zimmer. Every year he would be like, yeah, we're we're going to try to lighten the load a little bit on Delvin. Then they would start the season one and two. He'd be like, no, 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 no. Delvin's getting 30 carries. <laughs> like, we're not doing that. Uh, it's just that, you know, with Madison, I think there are limitations to his game because he doesn't have that breakaway speed where a new coaching staff may look at this entirely differently. It is a different running backs coach. The previous running backs coach really loved Alexander Madison, and they emphasized pass blocking a lot, which he was pretty good at. This new coaching staff might look at Kenny Wongwu and say, this guy has to be on the field. He runs a 4-3 and is one of the most lightning fast players, I think, of the entire NFL. It would be a mistake in my mind to use Alexander Madison over Kenny Wongwu too much. I don't disagree with you. I mean, at the end of the day, look, Madison, no one's taken Madison before round 11 or 12 or so as it is. Right now, I kind of have him in my A-plus handcuff tier, but based on what you're saying, maybe we need to slide down just a spot or two. But I have him still going behind guys like Ronald Jones, Melvin Gordon, people that are more certain to have a nice role in their offense. But Madison, Khalil Herbert, Rashad White, the new Buccaneers rookie, Tyler Algier, a lot of these guys are just one injury or suspension away from being out there a good amount. Matthew? We don't need to get into the legal logistics, but 
is Dalvin Cook going to get suspended? Because, like, I just think there's a chance, and I'm wondering because when these rankings, I'm consistently putting Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara lower than they should be just because I know there's some stuff going on. And while I don't want to, you know, sit here and be God and determine what's going to happen, I just do think, like, if a player was injured, like an ongoing legal situation does require us to pay attention. It would be uh, shocking if he was suspended, in part because the court dates continue to get moved back. This is uh, a very clear legal strategy on his side to move back and move back and move back the court date. So my understanding is I don't even think that there's going to be a court date until like next year. Wow. It's been it's been bumped back and moved that that much. And there's a lawsuit and there's a counter lawsuit. Um, if anybody's been, forever, <laughs> yeah, if anybody's watching the Johnny Depp thing, the, it, this is kind of like the Johnny Depp thing. So it's going right. It's going to take a very long time. And the NFL has made it clear and we'll see if they change their mind with the Deshaun Watson situation. But they've made it clear if it is a not a lawsuit that is criminal that they're going to just sort of wait and stay back and not do anything about it. So, uh, yeah. And now, now there is another competing situation here where, and the NFL might actually be pressured, which is Trevor Bauer in baseball, yeah. that baseball suspended Trevor Bauer for what, two years, even though that legal situation has not yet played out. So I guess I would say it is a little complicated, but my expectation is that he's not suspended. The question with Delvin cook is twofold for you, which is, do you buy that they'll use them in the passing game more often? And I want to know how you parse through these OTA reports um, because I kind of roll my eyes. And the age thing, it has to come up every year, but we are getting to the Sean Alexander, Larry Johnson type of age situation with uh, Delvin Cook. I like how Dalvin had to double down and show that highlight, I think, against Pittsburgh of him catching the downfield pass, too. Just really, really feeding into the mainstream media May uh, news cycle there, Dalvin. But we've always known he can catch the passes, and the new offense maybe will yield that sort of opportunity for him. But come on, I just think this offense is going through Justin Jefferson. And as long as he is out there, Adam Thielen first and foremost. So, I mean, you look at if we're trying to anticipate that Justin Jefferson is going to be a new Cooper Cup, like who the hell was the pass catching running back in Los Angeles? over these years i know tom Gurley had some good things going for him back when he was playing 90 95 snaps a game but i think ultimately that's kind of what it comes down to last season for cook to only i'm looking at it right now i mean 34 catches in 13 games 44 and 14 games i can see a bump up from that just from him continuing to be out there on the field maybe having a slightly higher emphasis on it but in terms of expecting him to turn into this mccaffrey kamara type of back we haven't seen cousins really enable that sort of talent and we haven't really seen the offensive coordinators the offensive staff have that sort of vision as well so look it'll be just fine once again i mean talvin cook when you just look at his raw opportunity the expected fantasy points going to his workload there's a reason why he's consistently been a top five fantasy back it's he's very good in his own right but i'm just saying like one of the cool stats i found this year was Jonathan Taylor, if you took his stats from last year and you removed two yards per carry, so you take him from five and a half, one of the best running backs in the league, to one of the worst running backs in the league at three and a half, he still would have been a top five running back in fantasy football. So, yeah, probably wouldn't have scored off the touchdown. So it's not a one-for-one, one, just the best science experiment. But truly, that volume means more than anything at the running back position. Yeah, and now that's an interesting conversation right there because Mike Zimmer was criticized a lot for wanting to run the ball too much. And I think that a lot of that criticism was fair of riding Delvin Cook all the time, no matter what. 
and if they do even slightly move the needle toward the passing side and lean into Kirk Cousins more, I mean, that could have a lot of different results for a lot of players. But you mentioned it off the intro, a guy who we've been talking about for it seems like several years, Irv Smith Jr., I think is, is one of the most interesting people to try to project here because they didn't go out and get any other tight end. So this is not going to be a situation where Kyle Rudolph gets half the catches and Irv Smith gets half the catches. Uh, this is a situation where he truly has the potential for that breakout situation. I, when he was his first two years in the league, I always compared him directly to Dallas Goddard, really, really talented young tight end that flashed all over the place when he was out there, but Goddard had to deal with Zach Ertz and um, obviously Irv had to deal with Kyle Rudolph to your point. And with these situations, we, you know, we saw last year with Javante and Melvin Gordon, we always want to put down the veteran, get that rookie out there. He's better. Kyle Rudolph, man, like even in his last couple of years with the Vikings, maybe he wasn't the same athlete, but you saw him, man, he'd still be making like three or four just absurd red zone catches per year. I remember against the Cowboys, Cousins and Kyle Rudolph had this connection. I was like, my God, did Rudolph and Cousins just pull off one of the cooler touchdown connections I've seen uh, this season? So uh, with that in mind, though, I mean, Irv, like you look at him, I think he's still only 23 years old. They haven't added anyone. He's now working at an offense that did not take Tyler Higby off the field last year. Everything is going right here for Irv Smith. And they didn't even add really major wide receiver competition. Maybe KJ Osborne is going to be the number three pass game option. Maybe Dalvin Cook gets more involved. But when you look at tight end, man, I want players that are going to be out there for every single snap if possible. And I think Irv has that firmly in his range of outcomes. Like just historically, if you aren't really going to be out there running a route on more than 80 percent or so of your offensive snaps similar to running back it's just hard to really put up the points when you're playing guys when you're playing against guys i should say that are just getting so many more opportunities for you so i think Ur smith is firmly in the conversation to be this year's dawson knox or the 2020 robert tunyon this late round tight end that maybe isn't you know going to get the 100 120 targets we're going to see from kelsey or waller but they're going to be on the field every time they have a quarterback that could easily flirt with a 30, 40 touchdown season. And we have enough just natural talent to turn those 70, 80 targets, hopefully in the double digit touchdowns. So Irv Smith, the late round tight end, in my opinion, this year, I think there are a couple other guys that fit that mold potentially uh, Robert Tunyon again, uh, perhaps we also see guys like Cole Komet's going to be out there. David Njoku is going to take a nice leap with Austin Hooper, but with Irv Smith, man, I'm betting on the talent we've seen and now getting the biggest workload of his career. Just please be healthy. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, I mean, last year going into the season, uh, people were talking around the team like this has been the best player in training camp, Irv Smith, and then gets hurt in the final preseason game, which I'm thinking that uh, if they're coming from the Rams school of how to keep players healthy, not playing your stars in the final preseason game will absolutely be one of those things. If I'm not mistaken, the Rams don't play anybody throughout the preseason. They they use it as entirely exhibition for their younger players to develop uh, or guys who are not going to make the team just to put a product on the field. Uh, Mike Zimmer would, again, always talk about that. But then once it came to the situation, he'd be like, oh, well, you know, I don't like how they've looked at practice. Let's get them a few reps out there. And it ends up costing uh, Irv Smith 
his season. But I think that what you talk about with somebody who's going to be out there for three downs and have an opportunity to be catching a pass on almost every play, this is not a guy who's really known for his blocking. He's a competent blocker, but he's not somebody that you're keeping in on pass pro all the time. Like You're sending him out. And I, I think that he also has something that very few tight ends have, which is downfield capability, where a lot of tight ends, you're talking about averaging like eight and a half, nine yards a pass. I think he has a, a chance to average 12 or 13 yards a catch because he can go down the field. Yeah, man, it's just like he's out of sight, out of mind for one year, and we just kind of forget about him. Because all these good things we were saying about him, it wasn't like he was going out there and having these 10 target games and just not doing anything with it. He wasn't having enough opportunity. And we can talk about, oh, you know, good players earn their opportunity. They earn their targets. Tight end's different. We always see tight ends take several years to really get going. So it sucks Irv had to deal with that injury. But all all things pointing up, man, even if we want to go like like – I think it's as simple as saying they didn't add to the position in a meaningful way. But if you wanted to kind of peel back that layer, Johnny Monk, career blockers, seventh round block first, Nick Muse. I mean, Tyler Conklin is someone that I honestly was more worried about his involvement with Irv Smith last year. And if Conklin had come back on a reasonable deal, I probably still would have expected Irv to be the number one. But it would have been much harder to just be like, he's going to be out there for every single snap. Because to Conklin's credit, you know, he came in late, wasn't expecting to have that big of a role and did good things with it, was pretty surprised. Surprised the Jets felt the need to add him and Uzoma and then draft uh, Jimmy Rucker in the third round. But they're doing their thing in New York. Irv Smith, I mean, again, man, he is going like outside the top 15 tight ends right now. Like if you're in a one tight end redraft league, I, you might be able to get away with, you know, getting an actual Dalton Schultz or a Gronk, someone that's just going to be in a slightly higher tier than Irv Smith. But man, when I'm playing these uh, uh, underdog fantasy best balls right now, like Irv Smith being as late, as available as he is, um, that's kind of the tier drop off where after him, I'm hoping to be done with the position. Well, let's talk about the Justin Jefferson thing and whether we should be buying the idea that he's going to have more targets. Now, I was talking about this the other day, but the difference between how Cooper Cup was used and Justin Jefferson could not be more vast. I mean, you talk about like a slot, quick pass type of receiver whose average depth of target is under nine yards versus a downfield wide receiver whose average depth of target is over 13 yards in Justin Jefferson. Now, there were times last year where I said, like, you have to find ways to get him just the football more often instead of always hoping for the home run with Justin Jefferson. I think they're going to take that tax, but I also would warn against over changing his usage. I mean, it's, it's somebody who's been one of the best receivers in the league, like top five over the last two years. I don't know if you're Kevin O'Connell that you want to just say, hey, hey, look, Justin, let's completely overhaul this. Let's do everything that you do differently. I think you'd still be good, but I also think you don't want to galaxy brain yourself too much there. There's a throwaway quote from Leonard Fournette a couple of years ago. And, you know, back when I was working news and I'd see like every single quote from all the practices and Fournette just said, ballers are going to ball regardless of circumstances. And come on, what are we doing here with Justin Jefferson? He was fourth in the NFL in targets last year already, 163. Like opportunity has been there. It's like the same thing when, you know, Tyreek Hill leaves Kansas City and everyone's like, oh, my God, what's next for Tyreek Hill? Or yeah, opposite, you know what I'm saying. What's next for Travis Kelsey with Tyree Kill out of Kansas City? It's like who was watching this offense saying if only Travis Kelsey had a few more targets uh, in the first place? So I think it's just seeing Cup have that big of a year. People want to see it again. But newsflash: that was the most productive season in NFL history that Cooper Cup just had in terms of fantasy points. Which even if you scoff at fantasy, it uses all the same stats that you know, quote unquote, real football people use: your receptions, your receiving yards, your touchdowns. We just you know threw fantasy in front of points there. So with that in mind. 
mind. Take out the 17th game. He still only trails, I think it was like 1994, Jerry Rice by one total point. So that's how freaking ridiculous Cooper Cup was last year. And yeah, a lot of that is modern football, full PPR scoring. But, you know, it's no, I don't really think Justin Jefferson is going to have the best wide receiver season ever. I think he could very well have the best wide receiver season in 2022. But let's not act like there's going to be a new Cooper Cup every single season. This was when James Robinson busts out as like the first RB1 undrafted free agent in a decade. And then there's 10 articles in next offseason talking about, you know, who's this year's James Robinson? Who's going to be this decade's James Robinson? Who's this next century's Cooper Cup at this point? But man, like if they want to put him in the slot more, that's great. I think NFL teams could make bigger use of that. I mean, consistently, just, and I understand why defenses aren't just actively moving their number one corner into the slot. It can cause a lot of confusion, different assignments for everyone else on the defense. But, you know, normally if the teams are going to continue to put their lesser cornerback, back as the number three nickel inside let Justin Jefferson roast that guy so I'll be more interested to see um, what you were kind of talking about earlier just will we get a more overall pass first approach and what could that committee mean for Kirk Cousins because you look at the numbers man efficiency wise you're going to be hard-pressed to put him outside the top 10 top 12 and most of those metrics if all of a sudden we get that volume jump I mean hey we want Jefferson to be the next Cooper Cup. I think Cousins becoming like the Matthew Stafford this season is far more realistic because Stafford last year, let's not pretend like everyone was just, you know, making him out to be the hero throughout the way. I thought every single interception he threw, people were, you know, hey, I was posting the memes of the Scooby-Doo character, ripping off the mask, and then it's, oh, look, it's Detroit Stafford again. So, if anything, I think it could be Kirk Cousins, who has already been playing at a high level, but maybe in a more friendly system, really takes that to the next step inside a talented offense that doesn't exactly ask him to carry the game as much as others might because he's got guys like freaking Justin Jefferson out there. Yeah, I was thinking not too long ago about just um, Matt Stafford and how he absolutely threw one of those interceptions, but the 49ers <laughs> guy dropped it yeah. and they get to be the Super Bowl champions kind of because of that. It's like he even had, you know, kind of one of those interceptions in the Super Bowl. But, you know, Aaron Donald also plays for his team, which right. is pretty helpful. So, uh, no, to, to your point, though, I think that if you're if you're moving Justin Jefferson into the slot more to get him involved earlier. So if he has the same number of targets, but they're not always, uh Oh, we're down 14 points and we have to come back and throw to Justin Jefferson all the time. Like, like you could have the same number of targets, but do it a lot better, which I think is what they should really aim for. Now, before we talk about cousins, uh, I, people can't see you who are listening right now, but you're uh, on Streamyard. You put your name in your name says Adam Thielen. Isn't that old? I mean, a little bit, though. A little <laughs> bit, though. I think what we have with Adam Thielen is a clear number two situation where when he was playing with Stefan Diggs in the peak of his powers, it was 1A, 1B, and whoever you decided was your favorite got to be 1A. But in this situation, it's very clear 1A and 1B between Jefferson and Adam Thielen. Oh, of course. But the thing is, like, it's not like we're being asked to buy Thielen at the same price as when he was the 1B or 1A with Stefan Diggs. People are just completely writing off Thielen at this point. I'm talking like not going in the top 36 receivers in some of these drafts. So that's where I'm drawing the line, because once you start getting into like these rookies that are also in crowded depth charts, like your Garrett Wilson's, your Drake London's of the world versus Adam Thielen, I'm going to throw some shots there at Thielen. Like, no, I'm not drafting him as my wide receiver two or even wide receiver three four or five okay that's where you sign me up and that's the big problem I think people get with some of these players you're Ezekiel Elliott's of the world you know uh, Christian McCaffrey someone that burns you to an extent and you just say I'm not drafting him. I'm not drafting him it doesn't matter 
everyone else probably has that same mindset and that's going to cause them to fall. Like, no, you shouldn't draft Zeke in round one this year, but round four or five might as well be a completely different player. And that's how I'm kind of looking at Adam Thielen. Cause I think this injury and this age thing, it's being just held against him more so than other guys over the last two years. He's played 28 of 33 games. The only games he missed in 2020, I think was one game because of COVID. That's the same amount as Allen Robinson, more games than Chris Godwin, DeAndre Hopkins, Robert Woods, Devontae Parker, Corey Davis, Kenny Galladay. And like, I know Theon is a little bit older than those guys, but we don't hear like any of these concerns uh, with them. So that's another kind of issue that I have sometimes with the fantasy community. We hold one kind of variable more so against one player and we don't apply it to everyone else. So right now, Saquon Barkley was the only running back to have a bad 2021 season. Who cares that he averaged the same yards per carry as Alvin Kamara and James Conner? That eye test from that Sunday when I was 10 beers in, you know, back in week 10 tells me all I need to know about Saquon Barkley last year. So ultimately, Thielen, you know, we're living on the touchdown upside because over the last two years, somehow tied for third in receiving touchdowns with 24 behind only Mike Evans and Devontae Adams. But he kind of is like Mike. It's basically like, you know, your upper, upper middle class man's version of Mike Evans right now is what you have at that. Adam Thielen, same thing with Kirk Cousins, probably go lower class, you know, compared to Brady um, and, and this weird ass anal- analogy. But with Thielen, no, we're not getting 160 targets. But if you don't think he can score 10 plus touchdowns with 100, 125 targets, you know, I will certainly take that wager. Yeah, I think that, I mean, last year, the injury was really more of a freak thing. It was not one of these like, uh oh, there's his hamstring again, you know, where every year you're sort of having that conversation, like with someone like Julio Jones later in his career with Atlanta, where every week he's on that injury report. That hasn't been the case with Thielen. It's really been that he just had some some bad breaks in 2019. And then uh, last year, he got tackled funny against the Lions. They pushed him to come back too early and then he got re-injured. They shouldn't have done that, obviously. Uh, But Um, you know, it wasn't something that looks like it's going to be restrictive long-term. And the one thing about Thielen and his game is that it's never been about like lightning speed. It's always been about the route running ability, the hands, the ball tracking, getting open by, you know, knowing the offense extremely well, knowing the details of routes, like those types of things. I mean, you don't want to be the cliche of like, not the best athlete out there, (laughs) but, but he's all, he's always been for his height, a decent athlete who really won with the route running in the hands. And I think that that's something that should carry on when we talk about Thielen here, it's more of through the context of, is that cap hit really worth it? And was that the right move to, to have that sort of cap hit on Adam Thielen? But as a player, there's no reason why he should fall off to, to anything below what he was midway through last year before he got hurt. Absolutely. So right now I have Thielen ranked as my wide receiver 27. It's ahead of guys like Allen Robinson, Elijah Moore, Traylon Burks, Drake London, rookies that also aren't really definitively their offensive number one. And also some of these guys like Brandon Cooks and Darnell Mooney who are just in these passing games that, oh man, I'll take 10, 15 fewer targets if it means they're coming from Kirk Cousins instead of a Justin Fields running for his life, you know, every single play out there. So maybe Chicago turns around. I am not so sure about that. But hey, like Irv Smith too, man, you look at Thielen, even KJ Osborne, who's going to be way uh, cheaper in drafts, obviously. But for them not to add a receiver on day one or day two or go into the free agency and make a meaningful addition, it's good news for all these guys. No, that's for sure. And uh, it'll be interesting to see the competition for behind KJ Osborne because all of a sudden that matters. And people, um, a few people emailed me about saying that the Vikings have a bunch of wide receiver fours beyond their two wide receivers, 
but that's the competition that's going to exist in a three receiver system. You need four or five guys like a Van Jefferson who can come in if somebody and when somebody gets hurt. Uh, and the Vikings not adding a guy was pretty surprising, but sort of showed some confidence in Osborne. And, you know, maybe even Amir Smith Marset could be a low key guy that uh, starts to emerge. On the matter of Cousins, though, I question whether pushing him to the max and and i've made the joke of like lean into the kirk and and go just go all in on this passing variance and hope that you know he gets hot or something but every again every coach kind of wants to do that and then they had this in 2018 oh we just signed him to this huge contract we're going to throw every play kirk is going to go out there and be the centerpiece of the offense and then it didn't work out so well and they shifted back to a run and play action and everything else I think that they still want to have kind of not exactly run first, but still want to run the ball a lot with Delvin cook, still want to run a lot of play actions and make this sort of a rich man, Jared Goff type of situation. Uh, and, and by the way, he threw 600 passes last year. So we act like, Oh, they never threw the ball or something like he threw 600 passes. So I don't think that he's going from six to 700. I think it's going to be very similar to last year. And that's the thing, man. <laughs> I'll bring up my like PFF passing grade about him or yards per attempt. And people will shoot those down and be, I don't need your advanced analytics. Well, what about the counting numbers? 4,200 yards, 33 touchdowns, just seven picks. Like he's not a top five quarterback. I don't think there's anyone out there arguing that probably not even top 10, but the man is a top 15 player in the entire world at what he does. So I think the idea, the slander that Kirk Cousins gets on a weekly basis, maybe a little bit too much for Vikings fans. I, I know it comes down to the amount of money he's making the lack of playoff success. So it's a little bit different for you guys, but I think more so in the national conversation, a little bit more respect should probably be put on Kirk's uh, uh, on Kirk's name consistently. But I think what you said about being a rich man's Jared Goff makes, a lot of sense because Kirk let's face it a lot of those yards a lot of those great highlight the big time throws as we track them at PFF they come when he is given a clean pocket which yeah we would expect all quarterbacks to be better when they're not being pressured but it was extreme for Cousins last year only Jameis Winston actually averaged fewer yards per attempt than Kirk when he was pressured versus kept clean 3.4 fewer yards per attempt for Cousins when he started to get under pressure so I would say you know arguably just being able to set him up for those play actions and have that you know clean pocket to rifle that ball downfield that's going to be his best chance of success it probably isn't you know stepping back to you know get out these uh, uh, West Coast style just one quick uh, completion after another another maybe that's not his game so much you know we have maybe that'll keep the pressure off I don't know we got a lot of questions going in this year but I think the biggest thing with Kirk is that I don't want to assume he can maintain that same sort of efficiency moving up you know we don't expect a three-point shooter that shoots 50 percent on four shots a game to just act, act, absolutely keep crushing it when you increase the shots to eight or nine but hey maybe there's a chance and to your point like what what's the other solution here just continuing to pound the rock with Dalvin Cook until a shoulder injury comes along or your running back room that's filled with guys we like but let's face it you know some late rounders that aren't exactly uh you know the highest values around the league so with Kirk keep that man healthy and let's, let's let him cook a little bit he's got two three good pass pass game options out there I think Kirk Cousins could prove a lot of people wrong this year uh, is there any age consideration at quarterback? Uh, because we are, we are reaching the point where look, uh, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady are just freaks of nature. They're aliens and they can play until they're a million years old. Uh, plus Tom Brady is, uh, doing something to his body that is maybe not legit, but with <laughs> Kirk Cousins, but with Kirk Cousins though, he falls into a category of similar players who in their mid thirties have started to slip. 
I, I, I wondered if the second half of the last season would mean anything to you because in the second half of last season, there was clearly a fade uh, in his play. And I don't know, like age comes for everybody except for Tom Brady eventually. And I don't know how you factor that in. I think that's something they should be a little worried about, but I don't know how to say, oh, this year's the year that he starts to slip. I'm going to do a study looking at just does every quarterback start to fall off in the second half compared to the first because everyone brings us up for Kyler and Russ and has nothing to do with their age. We For that argument, we just try to say it's because of their play style and they're too small to hold up over the course of a season. But, you know, when it happens with Kirk, it's because he's old. So that's something I want to get more to the bottom of. I'm not too worried about it right now because I didn't see his arm strength fall off a cliff like we kind of saw in the second half with Peyton Manning in 2014. I think even Drew Brees in 2019 when he was there down the stretch. I think Kirk can still sling it. And even though Brady and Rodgers are making up a lot of the success at quarterback, we've seen more guys. I mean, Big Ben, uh, Phillip Rivers, Matt Ryan, Peyton Manning, Tony Romo, like these guys were all still be able to put up top 12 fantasy seasons past the age of 35. So overall, looking at just quarterback year by year, 21 through 35, total PPR, just top, it doesn't matter for quarterback, total top fantasy performers over the past 10 years, 21% of the top fantasy performers have been age 35 or older. I mean, no other single age bucket is even over 11% for quarterback. So running back, wide receiver, once you get past, you know, 28, 29, especially for wide receiver, you see the big drop off of quarterback. And then also even tight end, we do see these veterans continue to beat just fine. So not every situation is created equal. Uh, you know, Peyton, when he had that neck surgery, hey, even he still has some big years after that. But again, once you saw his arm just turn into a duck at the end of the year, I think it was reasonable to be off the, you know, off the uh, train in 2015 for him. But with Kirk right now, not immediately worried about that age. For the Vikings building a future contender, uh, certainly something they should be keeping in mind you don't want to kind of have a Steelers Roethlisberger end um, to the era going on there where all of a sudden he just can't get the ball downfield but at least for 2022 I think Kirk is still slow. Uh I think so too it should be fine uh, but it's one of those things where I brought up that like by this age Joe Flacco was playing for Denver right like there are similar quarterbacks even Matt Ryan by this age started to slip who are, well, I don't know how similar Matt Ryan really is to Kirk as a <laughs> top draft pick and a guy who's like six foot five and all that. But, uh, you know, quarterbacks who are not considered the goats yeah. who started to slip around this age. But again, hard to tell when that's going to come. I do think there is a point to be made about the second half where quarterbacks do play worse because defenses have a lot of tape on them, uh, injuries around them. But with Kirk, it was kind of extreme because I looked at this last year where midway through the season, he really hit this, whether it's PFF grade or QBR, kind of hit a wall. Um, but knowing whether that's going to project, you know, I have no idea. Uh, but with, just, uh, yeah, just last thing with uh, Kirk real quick. And I'm not saying that you need to take him as a top 10 or top 12 quarterback right now. I actually have him ranked 14th. He's behind Derek Carr, behind Rodgers, and he's behind Stafford. He's in this tier of older quarterbacks that are not going to be running as much. And they're going to need the 4,500 yards and the 30, 40 passing touchdowns to get up there. But at the same time, after him, Deshaun Watson, who the hell knows how long he's going to be suspended, if at all. Trey Lance, is Jimmy G ever going to leave? Justin Fields, my God, that team sucks. Ryan Tannehill, Zach Wilson, like you kind of – Again, I think if you're objective about Cousins and, you know, you'll see the peeper, people in the Twitter comments say, no, wouldn't draft him in a 60-round fantasy draft at any point. I think if you objectively sit down and try to make fantasy rankings where, again, we're looking at that production. Style points don't matter. We just want the production as ugly or as beautiful as it might be. I think you would be hard-pressed to name 15 quarterbacks you should take ahead of Kirk. 
And and he is one of the most remarkably consistent players production wise yeah. in the NFL, which is one of the reasons I think they wanted to stick with him because you know what you're going to get. You know that he's going to be healthy um, because, I mean, the guy has had an incredible health track record, which you always have to worry about. Uh, before I let you go, I want you to tell me which one of the quarterbacks from last year's draft class takes the quote next step. Uh, is uh, Justin Fields going to overcome his horrendous circumstances? Zach Wilson, they've put everything they could around him. As you mentioned, even more tight ends. Yeah. They've given the man absolutely everything to work with, more offensive linemen. Um, you know, or is uh, is even Mac Jones going to take this to another level after a very good start? How are you viewing that draft class? Mac Jones definitely was the top rookie quarterback last year, but didn't we spend the entire offseason saying how he's the most pro-ready quarterback and then he is the most pro-ready quarterback and all of a sudden it's like, should he have gone number one ahead of Trevor Lawrence from the beginning? I'm leaning towards Zach Wilson here, mainly because of what you said. For them to go and add Garrett Wilson to a wide receiver room that I thought was pretty fine with Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, and even Braxton Berrios to begin with. They had not one, not two, but three solid tight ends. Nightmare for fantasy to try to figure that out, but hey, for Zach Wilson, the real life Jets, that's good. And then Brees Hall, who PFF, you know, a lot of my coworkers can't, you know, talk about the NFL without talking about how the Jets never should have traded up for Brees Hall. He's still a very good running back. So capital issues aside, adding Brees Hall, that offense is going to make them better. And unlike a lot of these other guys, the offensive line is actually in a pretty good spot and getting a healthy season out of Beckton should obviously be huge for them. So yeah, man, with Zach Wilson, we don't, it's injuries are one of those things that we seem to hold against some guys and not so much for others because Zach Wilson had his best game of the year in week five against the Titans, like really showing off that big time arm. He was freaking heaving that thing 60 yards, like freaking throws that two. I can probably only dream about. Sorry to it. That was uncalled for. But uh, after that, man, shortly into week seven, he sprains his knee. He comes back. Once he returned in week 12, he got one game out of Corey Davis and two out of Elijah Moore. He was thrown to like creative, like random generated players <laughs> called Jeff Smith and DJ Montgomery by the time that season was over. So the offense was all kinds of banged up. We knew Wilson was going to have a pretty steep curve coming from BYU, you know, just having all day to throw, being a being a younger quarterback, having to adjust to higher competition level. So I don't know that it was that surprising that Wilson had this drop off. You can argue the same thing for Trevor Lawrence, and that's fine. I'm not out on Trevor Lawrence, but the fact that Lawrence seems to get such a pass for the rookie year and people's conclusion with Wilson is like, oh, yeah, no, he, he just sucks, and he always will. Uh, that's where I kind of draw the line. So we have seen uh, quarterbacks be this bad as a rookie and then come off as a second year fantasy stud Derek Carr 12 fantasy points per game as a rookie 17 the next year Trubisky first year looks like why the hell would he ever be a number two overall pick that first year of Matt Nagy though we actually did see a peak out of him 18.8 fantasy points per game Blake Bortles he had the one great fantasy year in his second season and Carson Wentz was atrocious as a rookie legit plays as an MVP caliber player in his second year so you know I'm bringing up the four good ones I'm not mentioning Josh Rosen uh Geno Smith Brandon Whedon Case Keenum EJ Manuel list goes on and on with the bad ones but it wouldn't be unprecedented for Wilson to take that step forward I think they've made all the right moves to think it's going to happen and i just hope it will man because there's like the reason why i still root for drew lock uh eight days of the week is because some quarterbacks just the way they play the risks they take it's more fun to watch for better and for worse and i think zach wilson has that type of uh you know uh dna at the quarterback position yeah i mean with zach wilson um you know his circumstances were so bad but also not just because of the players around him but being asked to step right in it's 
one of those things where when a guy is drafted, everyone says you should really maybe sit him for a year, let him learn. And the team like, no, no, no. People want to see Zach Wilson, put him in. And then it ends up being a disaster. But I looked this up not too long ago of rookie adjusted yards per attempt, quarterback rating, all those things. And then what they did in their second year. And there was almost no correlation except right. for the ones who were truly so horrific, like, uh, <laughs> like Josh Rosen. So I think the door is still open there. Fields, I think is going to have a tough go of it. Um, uh, just because there's not a whole lot around him, but if he is able to overcome that and win like seven games, then there's probably something there, uh, with Justin Fields, but that's kind of one of those top storylines since no one drafted quarterbacks. We right. have to look at the last draft class, um, follow him on Twitter at I heart. It's, uh, H a R T I T Z. I think is right. Tricky one, tricky one, but you got it. Yep. 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 <laughs> Uh, so, or if you just type in heart, it'll come up yes, uh, with your face. So kids, Ian, you know. I, I love that you bring a different perspective to the show from the, the fantasy angle. And I look forward to coming back on your show and dropping more blazing takes that have the internet roasting me. But I think I was justified last year. I said, Justin Jefferson kind of reminds me of Julio Jones with how unstoppable he is at all levels. And all these Falcons fans, what? No, Hey, <laughs> 1600 yards i'm just saying so uh, well, I, th- I think my point too was like yeah i do get annoyed when especially for the college prospects like it's okay to use you know these descriptors like a poor man's a middle class man's a slower we don't you know every draft class shouldn't have five Devonte adams like coming out in it so but with your t- justin jefferson and julio jones take we had already seen him put forward one of if not the single best rookie wide receiver season ever so after that it's like yeah you probably should be comparing him to one of the best wide receivers in the league that's all we've seen him be and to your credit that's what he was in 2021 just yeah just saying like right like (laughs) i saw him play folks i watched every game uh it was the COVID year there was no fans so the only people in the stadium were like me and 14 other reporters (laughs) we saw it he's really good at football so anyway uh i'll mess this one up probably this year but uh thanks for coming on the show as always man and uh we'll catch up again thank you